Welcome to Anyone Can Play Guitar, podcast where we try to learn every single Radiohead song on guitar in order. I'm Nick Kendallsperger. And I'm Austin Diaz. All right, Austin, we're at the end of OK Computer, the album, not the whole project yet, but at the final leg of OK Computer. And how are you feeling? We were supposed to record last weekend and I was curled around my vomiting stomach, so I feel much better. <laughs> Though I'm glad know, you feel I better was, too. I was getting prepared for recording last weekend and then it just like, as all stomach flus, it just hit me. Usually you just have sort of repeating, looping thoughts. And so these songs were just looping in my head for 24 hours because I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't even concentrate on listening to something. We're going to blame your child for giving it to you, Oh, he definitely gave it to me. It it is his fault completely. (laughs) (laughs) So Hector, I'm sorry, man, but you screwed um, screwed it up. We'll forgive you. Okay. At some point. Well, before we get in, we need to get back to our favorite segment of the show— this is Spot the Alternative Rock Riff. Are you oh, ready, I'm ready. Austin? I didn't, this, you didn't tell okay. me that this was coming. I know. That's okay, the best I, part is when I spring yeah, it up on right, you. Okay? It. I'm going to start off with something a little easy. Okay. Okay? All right. That's ever, ever long. Blue yeah. Fighters. <laughs> All right. I got one I think that might be really hard. Okay. I know this one. I um, can you give me like the first letter of the band? D. D. No, never mind. D. Okay, uh, this is a song I totally forgot about. Days of the New, Touch, Peel, and Stand. Ah, Days of the New. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was always on one hundred point five. I know. I despise that song. It's such it, a bad song. It's such a bad typical like late nineties drop D. Yep. And um, man, if there was any song that made or like a example of things that like I just hated, I hated that dour post grunge crap. Yeah. Puddle of mud. Okay, this is a different song. Yeah, this is Blur, um, song two. Okay. <laughs> All right. Blink 182, damn it. <laughs> You got it. Yeah. All right. What about? Yeah. Um, is that is that Smash Mouth? Yeah. Yeah, it That's is. Smash Mouth. Not the one that everyone knows, but it's the. Um, it's actually the one that came out first, right? It it's came their out first be- big hit. Yeah. yeah. It came out before All Star, which everyone knows because of Shrek. That's right. It's uh, Walking on the Sun. Right. Oh, man, that's such a horrible song. <laughs> I don't actually hate that song I as much as I... I hate that song. I hate it. <laughs> uh, one last one. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. Uh, I don't know. This Third Eye Blind, uh, Symmetron Life. <laughs> man, I hated that song so much. I still you were like a fan, it. right? I still like you still it. like it. I still like that song. It's G, D, and C. Yeah, that's the so, whole thing. Yeah. What? Why do you like this song? I don't know. 
Okay. I, I mean, I just, <laughs> I, um, I don't like Third Eye Blind as much as I used to, but like, I like them enough where I just, I can't like completely deny that part of myself. Okay. Like that, I mean, like, I, I don't listen to them anymore, but like, I, I listen, I liked them so much at a certain point that I can't say that I hate them now. There's just something about his voice that I like. Okay. That's fair. Well, you did a very good job. I'm sort of proud that I didn't know Days of the New. I, that means I, I successfully repressed that memory because that song I was, totally I heard that song forgot all the that. Time. And then I was on this like 1997 playlist and I was like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> Drop that D and let's go. <laughs> yeah, that was about the time where I'm like, maybe I don't like every kind of rock song. Well, they played it a lot, yeah, on the Fox. But 100.5 or 101.5? 100.5. Yeah. I think. The Fox. The Fox. It was very like classic rock leaning. Yeah. But they did have the Pearl Jam session always at five in the afternoon. They would play four or five Pearl Jam songs in a row. And because I wasn't allowed to buy the albums, I would record. I would like plug in my headphones to the stereo system and then record it on a tape. Just for an hour, I would record. And then I would like at night, I would like fast forward and rewind until I got to the Pearl Jam session and then listen to those four songs before I went to sleep. How are you feeling about Pearl Jam these days? Well, uh, we're going to get to Pearl Jam. Oh, Later okay. in the show, this is okay. a, this is a preview. <laughs> I purposely, well, I don't know, I I didn't plan that, but Pearl Jam is now brought up, and Pearl Jam will come back. Okay, wow. Well, I can't imagine a better way to set up this podcast. Let's go for it. Climbing up the walls. I am the key to the lock in your house. That keeps your toys in the basement And if you get too far inside You'll only see my reflection All right, Austin, we've been fighting about this song for 20 years, right? Is that probably correct? Well, okay, I mean, like, you know how I feel about it. I guess I don't know how I don't know how you feel about it exactly. Other than you don't think it's their best song. I don't think it's their best song, no. And I did. How are you feeling about it now though? <sighs> Starting to learn the song, I had a bit of an identity crisis. You know, you were just saying with Third Eye Blind that that one song is just three chords. This is just three chords except you have like two chords that kind of interrupts briefly in the chorus, but otherwise it's just B minor, G E minor. It's a really simple song. It is a really simple song. This might be one of the simplest songs on OK Computer in a certain like chord formation kind of way. Right. At the bass level, it's the simplest song. I mean, like they have lots of other stuff going on in the recording mm -hmm. and in when they play it live, but it's a simple song. I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is a song that I've sort of like held up on a pedestal for a really long time. And it's so simple. I had to have to fight the urge to like, just because it's simple doesn't mean that I still can't love it. But it was still at the beginning, I had a bit of a crisis. Then I thought suddenly I was very clever, which is always a dangerous thing. If I was more clever, I would write like a philosophical treatise against cleverness. Because I think it's sort of like, I hate cleverness, actually. I hate when people are just trying to be clever. And so whenever I th am thinking I'm clever, it just probably means I don't have enough information. But all of a sudden, 
had this revelation cleverly, I thought, that this song is a sequel. Now, I sent you, you a track of something that you I did. recorded. You just play it on your end, and I'll watch you react, maybe. I am the key to locking you, you mixed, uh, you missed talk show hosts and climbing up the walls. Yeah. Wow. Wait, let it go. It, like, it works much better than you think. you get too far inside, you'll only see that's really interesting. Before you say it, I was like, yes, I found out. This is like the sequel to Talk Show Host, right? Like okay. Tom was writing in the same vein as when he wrote Talk <laughs> Show Host. And I was like, I discovered it. And maybe Tom oh. doesn't even know that's what he was doing. The way I do it is I like I work with the songs before I even listen to them. I came up with this version. And then I started reading about the song. And then I discovered that on that little cassette tape that came with the reissue of um, OK Computer, mm -hmm. it's basically a trip-hop version, this original demo version of this song, right? So that's why yep. one should never think that they're too clever, because I just didn't know enough. <laughs> but it is a sequel to Talk Show Host, <laughs> lyrically, musically. And I think it's so interesting that they started with this sort of Porter's Head Talk Show Host trip-hop beginning. And it morphed into this bottomed out swampy song where like the drums are still one of the more interesting aspects, but it's because like he's taken the snare off the snare drum. So that was my journey with this song. I'm back to loving it. I used to not love this song, but I have grown to like it a lot. Listening to it now, it's very clear the ending of this song is one of the most sonically impressive moments on the whole album. We'll get to it a little bit more, but I mean, my God, it's just incredible. I'm not in love with the actual song. <laughs> I do think that they nail the atmosphere like so well, even though it's pretty simple. They managed to give it such terror. He's so calm for some of it. It's this chilling sort of nervous calm where you know something bad is going to happen, mm -hmm. but Tom is not acting like it. And then listening to the demo version, you can totally hear that trip hop, you know, mid 90s kind of feel. And then so the fact that they were able to take that and turn it into this is mm -hmm. just so impressive. I love your explanation that talk show host is sort of the, the forebearer of this, but I do think they might have nailed this song later on in rainbows with a little song called all I need. Uh, I know <laughs> <laughs> we're not that far. <laughs> I haven't listened to it since we started this project, but in my head, I'm like, Oh, maybe yeah, it's, no, it popped. It popped directly into my head when I made this, when I started looking at through lines of their music, I was like, oh, wait, okay, now we have to now we have to get there immediately, but we'll be patient. We'll have to put a pin in this part, and <laughs> yeah. then come when we get to All I Need, we'll see how you feel. But let's talk about the sort of crazy end, because I, I genuinely think this is outrageously impressive. If I'm honest, is like why I loved this song. Just that howl and the crashing of the strings. This song, I got into like screamo just because i was so taken with that scream that he has at the end I, mm -hmm. I wanted to find it somewhere else and you don't really find i mean you don't find it somewhere else like there's lots of screamo bands and stuff and you can listen to it but it's not the same because it's not coming from like yeah like as you said the sort of like latent tension 
and he's so mm-hmm. calm and then all of a sudden he just screams like that's not what's going on in any of that other sort of music where people scream for me like just that release that you have at the end of the song is so cathartic and it was yeah. so cathartic i'm not someone that can yell even just in general i'm just like at this calm and i can't ever imagine myself yelling like that and so just to hear it is so releasing for me i think that we should try this someday we should see (laughs) how much austin can yell and then uh, record and then see what your wife says about it you've sort of criticized some of the string parts on the bends as being sort of kind of generic Right. And I think this is kind of really where Johnny takes control of the string parts. I have to admit, they come in like halfway through, I feel like, and they don't really go crazy until the end when he makes them all play like, what is it, a half step apart? A quarter note. Uh, They're all starting a quarter note after one another. And so it's just this wall of metallic noise that is more fearsome than any electric guitar blast that you could have. Because it's not like just one person, it's like a whole group mm-hmm. <laughs> playing dissonant sounds together. It just shocks you. You have to stop what you're doing and like be in awe of all of this. What is the name of the composer that he was... I want to say Pindareski. Yeah, Pindareski, exactly. What I read and like what I then it kind of clicked for me. I read somewhere that it, this is almost with the string section. It's almost their anti-Beatles moment. You, for especially, have made a lot of like rightful connections to the White Album, you know. But the Beatles never did this with strings. The Beatles had like Eleanor Rigby and like it. I don't know. Maybe you can correct me. That's not totally true because a day in the life ends with an orchestra swell. That is one of the most modernist performances that you can imagine in popular music, where they all have to start on their lowest note and end at their highest note. Mm-hmm. And they do it at different times because not all instruments have the same number of notes that they can play. But this is terrifying. There, it's more awe-inspiring that they could create that noise. Because, yeah, Johnny does have that quote that the string arrangements on rock songs have been stuck in, like, Eleanor Rigby, which is no knock against Eleanor Rigby. It's just sort of like they haven't progressed from there. I'm still not total. I mean, I don't know. It's a great song. It's the best song. It's the best song. No, it's not. No, it's, it's not. not the best song. But it's amazing. It's an amazing song. You know, like I, yeah. I, I, I went through and into the valley with this one, but it's a good that end, right? I mean, like when I, yeah, when I was just playing it by myself and I wasn't listening to the song, I was like, okay, this is good, and then I listened to the song again and I said, oh no, I'm here. This is okay. <laughs> I think that you think about the difference between you know, Pablo Honey and this, and it's hard to to wrap your mind around it. Yeah, just because... There's just one album in between. And they went from Stop Whispering <laughs> yeah. to, <laughs> to this is kind yeah. of amazing. It would be fascinating to know how they went from that first demo version to what ends up on the album. Did it take three months, or did they get inspired one night? And Well, I mean, because, like, if you track down, like, the first time that they played it live... It's already the album version. That was on the tour with Alanis Morissette. They were playing this version of Climbing Up the Walls. And they're still playing this song live. Like, it's a favorite of theirs. Yeah, I know. They should, as it it should be, because they agree with me. (laughs) All right, all right. I, uh, I will admit that you were right, that this song is better than I thought it was before, but I'm not 
convinced. It's not as good as you said it was before, but it is better than I thought it was before. Well, we've sort of we've sort of met in the middle, then I guess. Okay, we've met in the middle, so we can move on. Shake hands. Move on. The completely tonal shift to no surprises. So, Nick, I imagine you are really into this song. Yes, I am. This is like Beach Boys mixed with just deliciously depressing lyrics. It is recorded in a way that is reminiscent of Pet Sounds with this big room. Feels like they're all there together. The bass is so loud and round. And then you have all these tinkly little things on the side. Yeah, no, I mean, this song just kills me. <laughs> I'm like the biggest Beach Boys fan, which I know some people are not. I, I sent you a, a playlist of sad Beach Boys songs. Did you? Oh, I've uh, listened to it several times. I am also actually a big Beach Boys fan. You grow up thinking that the Beach Boys are just like all surf songs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you dig in a little bit and you just find these just I mean, these really complex songs that are still catchy, but they just have this mournful, lost innocence feeling to them with Brian Wilson. So, I mean, obviously Pet Sounds is the most famous one, but they had songs before that and then after that as well. This song is (laughs) hilariously sad, but it really wrecks me. I, I find this probably the most, the saddest song on the whole album. Yes and no. So I made this playlist of upbeat songs. On it was something like Shut Up and Dance, Strangers by this artist named Secret, anything that Jack Antonoff has worked on with Carly Rae Jimson, like mm-hmm. Once You In My Room or and any Jack Antonoff like Bleacher song. That are Did up- he do Warm Blood? Nope, that is the guy from Vampire Weekend, oh. Rostrum, um, which is a great song. We have people listening to this podcast, but who cares? I, I hate Jack Antonoff. Oh, okay. well, that's a totally different uh, conversation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you think of that new Lord song? Did you hear that? It's one? bad. The, you Okay. I can't decide I, if, if it's bad or if it's like strangely brilliant, but I'm, I can't decide right now. So I love Carly Rae Jimson. We've talked about this. Yeah. Almost every song that he produces, I, this upbeat song that makes, makes me sad. Whereas like that Beach Boys playlist that you sent me, these are sad songs, but there's something exhilarating about it. Oh, There's okay. just sort of like, they are sad, but they don't make me sad. That's a great way to put it, yeah. It's the same with this song. This song is sad. It doesn't make me sad. There's something that's so, it's exhilarating, I think, because it's not trying to be upbeat and happy. It's just like it's incorporating, it's being real about things. Mm. It's like not being overly depressive. My wife is a psychologist and with psychology there's this idea that like you really have to incorporate the unconscious and there's like sad and dark things in the unconscious but once you incorporate that then it's actually you deal with your emotions better. 
And I think that there's like songs like this one that have incorporated like the unconscious and like the more reality. And so then they don't make you sad if they are, even if they are sad. Whereas like there's songs like Once You In My Room, there's just something sort of off about it. The music and how it's like set up and it's like it's trying to be too cheerful and it's not incorporating like that unconscious part. And it then makes me sad. I think that is totally true. I think we're going to hear more about the unconscious as we go along with Radiohead. I think that that's going to come up again. (laughs) (laughs) I just find these lyrics so matter of fact. You're saying like he's not analyzing them. He's just bringing them up and saying this is what it is. And so you can examine them. You know, so like the you look so tired, unhappy and bring down the government. Like, those two things are not connected. Well, it reminds me of that Ezra Pound poem, People Waiting for the Subway Leaves on a Tree, like this mm-hmm. ju- juxtaposition of images, that the whole idea is that you don't have to connect them, you can just put them next to each other. And that's poetry. I'll take a quiet life, a handshake, some carbon monoxide. I can't remember how many times I'm just like, I just want to just go away. <laughs> just yeah. want to, like, stop and, like, disappear. It doesn't last very long. But, like, if I could just live in a little cottage away from everything, all the problems would go away. But there's still something so resigned about it. It's not like we can escape the city <laughs> right? go somewhere. It's like, yeah, like resign. Like, I guess I'll just go away because I can't take it anymore. Yeah, I mean, but like, I think it's also a bit about resigning, just staying where you are, like actually staying in the system that there are no alarms or surprises now in my daily life. <laughs> it can sound pretty simple at first. You know, it starts with the D sus two. But then our old friend, the G major 7B is back. Yeah. I love this chord. Right? Yeah. I never... What song was that in? Yeah, Bulletproof. Bulletproof, right? Right. I mean, it's like, it's a... Uh... I mean, it's up a... It, you have a capo on, so it's not actually a... It's just the chord formation. I mean, but like Bulletproof, right? Do you have like that really... The... It sounds so kind of conventional, and then you hit that... Yeah, it's just, it's such an amazing chord. No, I love all these things, the the bruises that won't heal. How did he write this song when he was like 22 or whatever? I don't know how old he was, but he was in his 20s, I assume. Right. Well, wasn't there that journal entry where, was it this song or Letdown, where they're like on that tour with R.E.M. and he played this song and Calden like lost his mind? It's, I mean, it's hard to have something to say about it other than when Hector, my oldest son, was a baby. I mean, like, he just was crying a lot. For some reason, I couldn't remember, like, lullabies. I could only remember church hymns, and I could remember this song. And <laughs> so among the church hymns, you know, like, of, like, lullaby-ish songs, right? So between uh-huh. church hymns and this song, I chose this song, and I sang this song to him all the time. You know, I'd listened to this so many times, I just had to memorize. I could just, like, sing it acapella yeah. all the time and it sounds okay acapella for a baby it does so i shared a video of this older gentleman on youtube playing this song and at first you think it's going to be a joke like look at how terrible this version of it is by this old man and then it is so stunning yeah and i, I was <laughs> and, almost crying like and not out of sadness it's just amazing yeah you're right it isn't sad it's i mean you can bring such knowledge to the song the mm-hmm. older you get. And he sang it so softly. 
It's one of my favorite covers I've, yeah. I've heard of Radiohead in a long time. You know, the other thing that this reminds me of is R.E.M. released an album called Up, and there's a song called At Most Beautiful, which is their sort of Beach Boys-inspired song. And I think if you compare the two, you'll see that, like, how much better No Surprises is. Mm-hmm. Because R.E.M. really tried to go for it and make it sound like the Beach Boys with the orchestra and all these different things. What's amazing about this is that they're able, Radiohead's able to r- sort of replicate the atmosphere by using their own instruments. So mm-hmm. there's a xylophone, which they don't often play, but there's not like a bassoon or something right. <laughs> in the mix. And they recorded it in the same way. So it has that feeling of pet sounds. Mm-hmm. It's not the instruments that make it sound like pet sounds. It's that production and how it was put together. I think we so we both like this song. I mean, I like it. I actually like this song more than I thought I did before we started. This is one of those songs that I've heard a million times. And it was a single for OK Computer. And I always liked it, but I like it more now. It was one of my favorites on the album from the beginning. I think also just like the sequencing is flawless. To go yeah. from the crash of climbing up the walls to like the opening, you know, like you're like, oh, I'm gonna be okay, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a question: Should this be the last song on the album? No, the last song on the album should be the last song on the album, and we will get there. I'm just throwing this out here because I have to admit that the last third of OK Computer is my least favorite part of the album. I, I think I mean I think the first half of OK Computer is essentially flawless. I would put that up against almost any other record. I'm not as infatuated with the end. Oh, I would put the I'm like the opposite. Well not the opposite, but I would put the end of this album up against any end of like an album album, right? Like not mm. an album that is an album and not a collection of singles, but an album that like has taken you on a journey and it's landing you somewhere. This is a a flawless landing of a journey. Okay, we're going to have a lot to discuss here as we move on. <laughs> right, and it's not as though we haven't <laughs> talked already for 40 minutes. Like... <laughs> All right, so let's move on to the next song, which is Lucky. Give me a hand with love It's gonna be This is their most dated song on the album, I would argue. I agree 100%. It is, I mean, like, it's almost a grunge song. Uh, Almost. At the interlude. This is like Vitology era Pearl Jam song. Let's roll with this. If you you think about uh, songs like Trimmer Christ and Corduroy, this song would like slot right in there. If you replace, if you put Eddie Vedder on this track, and not Tom York, except for the chorus, maybe, but especially the bridge. It's almost the same as like some of the breakdowns that you have in Vitology, which is also, when did, is that a 1996? 94, 95. That's my favorite Pearl Jam album. It's the only one that I still listen to. It's my favorite one too. 
because I think there's just some like fantastic stuff and I think everything afterwards they just sort of fell off the cliff for me and everything before is like it's too dated. Vitalogy is a good album and so even though I find this a dated song from Radiohead, I still really enjoy it. I love your Pearl Jam analogy. I was thinking of it as more of like the Benzia song on the album. I am very conflicted about this song. I feel like it's a really good song but it doesn't sound like OK Computer. It was recorded before the whole album. They recorded this for a charity album right. for Brian Eno, and they recorded it in a day. So the whole thing was like that, that Brian Eno brought all these bands together and everyone recorded, I think, in their own studios or whatever. But They were the only ones that did an original song. Everyone else did a cover. Oh, okay. Radiohead was the only that. ones that like challenged themselves. Like In one day, they're going to make one new song. It's amazing that they were able to record it in one day. And it starts off with that amazing part by Ed. So he's playing the guitar um, above the, the fret. The, you can hear that with the acoustic. doesn't sound anything, yeah. but you go. And then apparently Tom wrote the song based on that noise. Like the noise came first. And then he was inspired to write it. The most interesting thing I think about the song is the chorus where it switches from A minor to A, it should be like, so pull me out right. the air crash, which is, is really sad, but instead it does the pull me crash. And that gives it a really triumphant, meaningful impact. I, I do find it a bit repetitive though. The song is essentially just verse chorus again and again. And it has like a nice instrumental break. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that solo is definitely also, uh, it's the closest that they come to a Pearl Jam type solo. And I guess, I mean, did you also read that they, they recorded it in one day and then they decided that they were going to put it on the album. And so they, mm -hmm. at Jane Seymour's house, they tried to record it again. I mean, it just didn't work. They were like, nope, this is just a version. Yeah, Johnny has a quote saying we agonized over whether to leave it off, but we thought it was one of the best songs we had ever done. And so they ended up doing it. I would have left it off. I would not have. <laughs> I mean, I, think... I just want you to, I want you to try something. Okay. I want you to just take it out and go straight from no surprises to the tourist. Okay. I just feel like we have two songs. We're going to have two songs in a row. Lucky and the tourist. I don't like them together. For shame, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I really like Lucky. I'm not against Lucky. I just, this has always been the trip for me on the album. Uh -huh. Is that we're just like moving forward and then Lucky kind of like stops. And yeah, that's how I feel. I'm not going to back down. I'm going to stand strong. I'm okay, going to say no, that. No, I mean, yeah, I it's think that fine <laughs> that you can stand there all you want in that great, that area that we call wrong. Okay. <laughs> like, no, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's such um I mean, I would always just listen to this whole album, right? I never just like went and put on a song when I was a teenager. And I was, I was just always so excited to get to these pair of songs because you have Climbing Up the Walls, it crashes into this tinkling opening of No Surprises. Then it comes into this song and you have that like deceptively tinkling thing where like Ed is playing up yeah. there. It is familiar. It's dated. It's familiar. 
but there's something sort of like deceptive and welcoming about that familiarity at the same time that completely preps you for the strangeness of the tourist. If you take Lucky out, there's too much strangeness with going from no surprises to the tourist. Mm, I love it. I, I want the strangeness. I want no, to live I think, in that I think bizarre you, world. I think you need to be like lulled by the familiarity <laughs> before you get to the last song, which is The Tourist. Tourist. Is this a great song? This is, is this, a, this is a completely <laughs> brilliant song. I mean, it's hard not to curse to talk about this song. No. I know. I always liked this song, but coming back to it now, I was just like, oh shit. Yeah. I mean, like digging digging into the song is like the reason I love doing this podcast. I mean, because I always liked it and I always loved that it ended the album, but man, when you really start looking into this song, there's just so many amazing parts about it i know just amazing aspects of it what's so fascinating about it is how there aren't that many chords it's a very not simple song but it it uses only a few chords but Mm -hmm. though each chord is there for a purpose and then it's tripped up (laughs) by the time signature and it's tripped up by the way you tune the guitar so you tune the essentially the fourth string, which is usually in standard tuning a D, you tune it two steps up to E. But so then when you play a B. Yeah. Ah. And it's just like so beautiful. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, right, that G sharp comes out of nowhere. And so the whole song shouldn't work. This shouldn't work. Yeah. And yet it's so beautiful. I mean, I really think that this might be the heart of the record. This seems like them taking their guard down. Johnny wrote it. Right. Johnny wrote the music of it. Right. So that sort of explains how it's both deeply strange Mm -hmm. and then not fussy. It's not fussy. It's not like, I feel like Tom is always trying to do something different. He's an idiot savant. Like he's even said in interviews that like Johnny wants him to stay that way. Like Johnny has almost forbid him to learn anything about music theory because he just wants to see what Tom comes up with, right? And so there's always, like, even in songs like No Surprises, there's a bit of this sort of frenetic energy undertone because it's, like, Tom pushing himself to try and figure out something new. Whereas Johnny, like, knows... I think there's sometimes with good musicians and good composers, especially in classical music, there's a calmness that can come with understanding how it works and then knowing, like, okay, I don't have to do too many things to make this something that's kind of special. And I think you have that in this song. There's not that many chords. It's like a weird tuning, but it's just so that you can play those chords easier. Without mm-hmm. that tuning, you, you're you not getting a B add 9, 11 without like putting your fingers everywhere. Here it's like you get the normal forms. It's just he wants to have that extra voicings. And so, the, yeah, there's just like a, such a calmness to this song and like an assurity to the music, I think arises out of his familiarity with how music works. 
I mean, and so he was sort of said he was inspired to write this when he saw American tourists in France going to all the tourist sites and then, <laughs> you know, going as fast as they can so that they can see as much as they possibly can in the shortest amount of time. And so this idea of you just need to calm down. <laughs> yeah. You're not appreciating anything. You're just going too fast, which which almost provides some sort of resolution for the album. You know, I wouldn't call Radiohead anti-modernist or, you know, anti-technology. So it's not like they don't want you to have computers and things like that. But there is sort of a, a just we need to chill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just love the I love all the words. I mean, but man, there's so few words here because he sings so slowly. I was actually working out the melody on the piano. If he's just hitting the notes, you like you can tell that it was a very deliberate melody. But again, I mean, he goes for it. I mean, the very first yeah. chorus. I mean, like you, it's this is not a song that you can like sit down where there's other people around and like sing it the way that it should be sung along with. Like you can't just be like I can't be there with like my baby and toddler and my wife and be like, hey. Man, you know, like he's just (laughs) you're yelling at your. (laughs) I could do the falsetto with high and dry and like lots of the stuff on the bins. You know, I I could play that song while they were doing something else and it wasn't disturbing, right? But like, if you want to play this song right and really try and feel it, like, no, like you need to be either really confident and people need to be watching you just to do it, Mm -hmm. or you need to be by yourself. I love when it gets to the like go. You would think that by just changing the one string, it would just screw up every chord. And instead, every chord sounds magical. Well, it's, this, it's like the same with the I can't tuning, where like all of a sudden, mm-hmm. like you just drop the D at the top instead of the bottom. And I'm like, wow, all of these chords sound amazing. The E just sounds. That sounds beautiful. There's just this extra sort of like brightness that's tempered. I don't know. Like it's so hard. I I was really, I was sitting there trying to come up with like, how do you describe how these chords sound? They have a sadness still, a shimmering sort of oddness. Like the the embodiment, a bit of that idea that I was talking about with the incorporation of the unconscious, like just in chords, you know, it's major, but there's just sort of like this minor shimmer that's dangling as it rings out. I mean, I got to say, Phil's performance on the drums throughout this is is pretty mm-hmm. spectacular. The way he's able to keep it all together and not make it too loud. I think this is where he's moving. And in the future, we'll see a lot more of this. Because it could be like, all right, here's the chorus. Turn on the distortion pedal and like hit the, yeah. <laughs> the crash cymbal. But instead, it keeps moving very slowly. It never feels languid. Never feels like we're going to fall apart. I think that's the time signature. I mean, I did a bit of a deep dive on this 9-8 time signature. Okay, and I yeah, because it's a very unusual time signature. And there's like different ways to count it. I mean, like maybe the easiest way to count is you just have like count like three triplets, right? Like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Like it's almost a waltz. But I don't think that you can count it that way. Okay. Another way that you can count it would be like one and two and three and four and five, one and two and three and four and five, one. And I think that's why it doesn't fall apart. It's like if you count it that way in your mind when you're playing it, that one and two mm-hmm. and three 
three and four and five. One, almost stumbling forward. It's like you stumble and then you catch yourself and then you stumble and then you catch yourself, right? And it's, you're sort of barreling forward in the song, even with the slow tempo. And I think that's what Phil captures with the drumming, like reflexive words is that you're almost kind of falling apart or like burning down or something, but you don't, you're just sparking. Yeah, if it was 4-4 four, four, or if it was just 3-4, then it'd be not the same. I mean, I will say that this is a very uncommercial song. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I totally understand how someone could get to a song like this and be like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. They're just like putting chords in everywhere. But when you break it down on guitar and then they hit the G sharp, you're just like, oh, this is yeah. like it shouldn't be there. There shouldn't be a G sharp. No. And then they make it work so well. I mean, have you ever just tried to be like, I'm going to be like Radiohead and throw in a chord that doesn't make any sense and it never works. No. <laughs> and yet the G sharp really works. And I guess that's because Tom's melody also goes there. That's all Johnny, I'm sure. He also just has like a solo here that you can really sink your teeth into. That, um... Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's really, it's one of his more straightforward solos, but it doesn't sound that way because it's so melodic. You know, it's just basically, it's like he was writing a part for like the violin section and then he just right. put it, <laughs> then he just put it on the guitar. It's so classical. I love it. <laughs> it's... <laughs> I've just been playing like different like licks from it for weeks now. You know, it's very beautiful regardless mm -hmm. of what you think. But then to break it down into its parts, it's just stunning. And then the ending is just about perfect. Everything goes away and it's just Phil's drum part and then they hit a triangle. Bing. I mean, it's the perfect ending for the album. And I know that they had a really, really hard time compiling the album in order. Tom couldn't figure out whether fit or happier should go at the beginning, the middle, or the end. It could open the album and be like this super creepy, weird opener, mm -hmm. or it could be this super depressing ending. But if you put it in the middle, it, it gives the album an arc. And then this song, it finally cracked the code to put this song last. It sort of, it feels like the ending. It kind of brings the car theme full circle. You can immediately loop this back to airbag mm -hmm. and go on this trip again which i did they end up with a triangle and you go right back into the cello or the cello line of the of opening of airbag i mean you yeah it is a loop of an album it's weird because it feels not deliberate it does feel like they just had all these little pieces and then mm -hmm. they fit them together as well as they could have and besides lucky it all works out really well <laughs> only with Lucky, only with Lucky does it work. I mean, this album is still one of my favorite albums, and it totally changed how I thought about music. I'd like to give this a little break with this album and not listen to it too much. Yeah. I found that going over these songs together, I didn't necessarily want to listen to them as many times as I did 
for the bends because I just have listened to this album so many times. Yeah, well, I, I just didn't need to listen to it as many times. Like, even yeah, I guess even, that's true. even going at the solo parts, like, for Electioneering or for The Tourist or for Paranoid Android, I didn't need to listen to the album. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and it was just to go back and listen to it for the production differences, like I'd climbing up the walls or no surprises or something like that. We're not done <laughs> yet. <Yeah. laughs> so with OK Computer, there's a lot of B-sides that we need to get to. And I'm, I'm wondering if next episode we should uh, tackle all the songs on the Airbag EP. All the songs on the Anyone Can Play Guitar podcast are by Radiohead and performed by Nick Kendallsberger and Austin Diaz. Okay.